Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. All right, like I said, this is an impossible task. This really is. It was, it was easier for me to talk about all of salvation history like the entire Bible in an hour and a half. It was easier to do that than it feels like it is to try and talk about Mary in an hour and a half. So let's just start here. Start with this. This simple title, this comes from Luke's gospel. This is the angelic salutation. Gabriel comes to her, Gabriel, who's one of the three named archangels, and says, Hail, full of grace. If you've prayed the Hail Mary like we have just now, if you've prayed it your whole life, you've said these words, Countless thousands of times, hail, full of grace. Hail Mary, full of grace. This is heaven's nickname for Our Lady. Full of grace. That's how heaven addresses her. This is a better way to, uh, to translate this would be rejoice, you who, is continu- you who are continually being filled with grace. It's kind of a mouthy, wordy nickname, but that is heaven's nickname for her. Hail, you who, is, you who are continuously being filled with grace. Who is this woman? That's the question we're looking at tonight. Who is this woman? This woman who beats the crap out of demons. <laughs> you got to love the medieval manuscripts. They just, they just don't, pull, they don't pull any punches. You know what I'm saying? Oh, look at her with her war hammer. Yeah, just grabbing the demon by the throat. That's the best. Who is this woman? This is a beautiful painting of the Annunciation uh, by an American painter uh, named Henry O'Tanner. It's in the Philadelphia Museum of Art. If you ever get to Philadelphia, if you ever get to that museum, two of my favorite paintings in the world are there. It's this one and another one uh, called The Crucifixion, which is so stark and intense. But it's huge. This this is almost life-size, This, as it is on this screen right now. It's a huge image. Tonight, what I want us to do is I want us to soak in the beauty of this woman because that's what she is. She is beauty. Like, in many ways, the poets, the artists, the musicians have done a better job of articulating who Mary is than the theologians. Nothing against Thomas Aquinas, nothing against Bonaventure, nothing against Francis, nothing against any of these amazing dogmatic theologians, but they don't come anywhere close to uh, the artists, the poets. Because we're talking about beauty, like beauty incarnate, beauty in the flesh. That's who she is. So as a sort of continuation to prepare our hearts to enter into this, I want us to soak in a little bit of beauty. And um, what we're going to hear right now is um, a song called the Ave Maria that was composed by uh, a guy named Franz Bibel. What you're going to hear is essentially it's the Angelus. And the Angelus is the dialogue between Gabriel and Mary that you read in Luke's gospel. It goes back and forth. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace. So it goes through the whole annunciation scene. That's what this song is. I want us to soak in this simply because, it, like, yes, there's going to be a lot of content tonight, a lot of content. But more than the content is, is the beauty. I just want the beauty to bombard your hearts. I want you just to soak in this because... If we walk away from this night not grasping, at least in part, that she is the most beautiful creature that God has made, that she is, as we say, she's our life, our sweetness, and our hope, that 
she reveals what God has in mind for us. If we don't walk away like with that fragrance, that sense, then we've missed it. If we've reduced her to a set of dogmas, we've completely missed her. She is beauty. So let's just soak in this beauty for a moment.
questions? <laughs> I, have, I have looked at this painting uh, for years, and I've never noticed before at the very bottom that you can see her toes. You see that? I was just sitting there looking at her toes. He's depicting the Annunciation. He's depicting the moment that Gabriel comes, and look at how he depicts the angel as this beam of blinding glory and light. Peter Crave says, you want to know what an angel is? He's like, it's like lightning that stays. That's good. <laughs> That's good. This woman, this woman is the most depicted woman in all of human history, inspiring the greatest works of art, greatest pieces of music, the most incredible sculpture and iconography, architecture, stories, plays. She is depicted more than any other woman in all of human history because, as St. John Paul II said, she is tota pulchra est. You are all beautiful, Mary. Let's linger with this image for a second. This is a painting I got recently. It's up in my office. It's called uh, Only for a Moment by a contemporary artist named Greg Olson. I'm going to just zoom in on my favorite detail in this painting. Right there. This moment, this woman, she, uh, this is a good place to start. She was a woman you could rest your foot on. Let's just start with that. She was somebody you could rest your foot on, you could touch. Like all of this art throughout history, like yes, it's been inspired by her, but it can give the impression that she was not exactly real, right? It can give the impression that she was this sort of dreamt up ideal that the medieval artists and poets and sculptors and painters just kind of brought to life. No, 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 no. She was not like a porcelain statue who just floated above the ground. She was a real woman. She was fully human in every sense of the word, meaning she was a sexual being. Now let's be careful. By this I mean totally embodied. She was a totally embodied human being. Like in scripture, the, like, the parts of her that are praised are her breasts and her womb. Blessed are the breasts that, that nursed you. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. She was a woman in every sense of the word. And look, and I don't mean to speak of her in the past tense as if like she's just gone. No, no, no. Like, spoiler alert, right? Newbie Catholics here. Like, we believe because of scripture that at the culmination of her life, Mary was assumed, meaning taken up into heaven, body, and soul. That right now, in the... Endless exchange of life and love that is the Trinity right now in the Trinity is the body of a woman. She's there. Like all this stuff about the Catholic Church being misogynistic, baloney, absolute baloney. Mary is the crown jewel, the pinnacle, just as woman is the crown jewel of creation. Mary is the crown jewel. All of humanity, we're going to talk about this, all of humanity stands in a Marian posture, the woman is the archetype of all of humanity. Like I said, I know I'm going to be throwing a lot at you, but how could I not? We're talking about Our Lady. Okay. So at the culmination of her life, she was taken up, body and soul, into heaven. Just like David in the Old Testament, he processes into the, ho into the holy city of Jerusalem. They found the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the manna bread and the law inscribed in stone, and he installs the Ark into the earthly temple in Jerusalem. So to Jesus, the new David in the 
New Testament takes Mary, who is the Ark of the New Covenant, and he brings her and installs her into the heavenly Jerusalem. Just what David did in the Old Testament is what Jesus does in the New Testament. Next time you go to the Feast of the Assumption, pay attention to what the first reading is. It's when David brings the Ark into the holy city of Jerusalem. The church is trying to teach us something. This Old Testament scene is previewing the New Testament reality. Okay, so she was and she is real. She's not gone. She's, like I said, our tainted nature's solitary boast. She is like the luminous revelation of what a human person is supposed to be and like what God willing, by God's grace, we will become in glory. This hit me, I don't know, a year or two ago. I was praying in front of an image of Our Lady Guadalupe. So Our Lady Guadalupe, apparition of Mary to the uh, Mexican people, 15, 16th century. And what you see in this image is Mary clothed with the sun. She's radiant. She's this cosmic figure, right? I was looking at this image of Our Lady, and it suddenly occurred to me, like, she's, she's not the aberration. Like, she's not the exception from the rule. Like, we are the exception from the rule. She is what humanity is supposed to be. She's what we're supposed to be. And what, by God's grace, we are meant to become. In other words, filled with God's life, radiant in glory. If you want to see what the saints look like in heaven, they look like her filled with God's love, filled with God's fire. This woman, filled with God's love, filled with God's fire, she enjoyed life more than anybody, more than any other person. You see these images, these statues of Mary, where she just looks kind of flat and lifeless, porcelain and dull, and dare we say, ugly. Who here has ever seen an ugly picture of Mary? Oh, just Chris and I, really? Wow. Raise your hand, Robert. Don't lie. She was radiant in her humanity. Nobody enjoyed food or drink as much as she did. Nobody laughed harder than she did. Nobody enjoyed sunrises and sunsets and like flowers and springtime and raindrops and puddles and birds and weddings and kisses and everything. Like she was fully human, right? St. Irenaeus says the glory of God is man fully alive. She was fully alive. Okay, but before we go any further, let me just clear up a few issues. Uh, some Catholic teaching on Mary can be, it can be for a lot of people coming into the church, quite a hurdle intellectually to uh, surmount. So let's just clear up some of these issues. All right. Catholics, let's just be very clear. Catholics do not worship Mary except the Italians. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Only kinda. <laughs> we do not worship Mary. All of the images of Our Lady that we have, they are not idols, right? They are holy images that point us to her, right? They're holy images that point us to her. Just like you would approach any other person and say, hey, could you pray for me? It would be very weird for, for you to respond, like, Chris, if you were to come to me and say, hey, Father Pat, could you, could you pray for me? It'd be a very weird response for me to say, whoa, who do you think I am, God? Just, why don't you just go straight to God, Chris? Why do you got to ask me to pray for you, right? 
Because God loves to work through secondary causes. And there's not a better secondary cause than Mary, right? So we do not worship her. We highly venerate her, right? Pop quiz. What's the fourth commandment? Anybody know? Honor thy father and mother. Okay. Who do you think fulfilled the fourth commandment the best? <laughs> Who? Jesus, right? Jesus. Jesus honored and reverenced his father and his mother, Joseph and Mary. And if we are going to be followers of Christ, who must we honor and reverence? Say it if you know it. Mary. Mary. You can't love her more than him. Meaning, as much as you think you love her, he loves her more. As much as you think you're honoring and reverencing her, he honors and reverences her more. You can't outdo him in his love for her. So we make this distinction between Mariology, which is the authentic study of Mary and Marian doctrines and all these things about who Mary is, versus Mariolatry, right? Worship of Mary. We do not worship Mary. We honor, we reverence, we, uh, just like Jesus, we honor and reverence Mama. When you hear Catholics say things like, I was praying to Mary, um, it would just, it's just an issue of semantics. It would be a lot clearer for Catholics to say, I was talking to Mary. It's just a lot clearer, because that's reality. You're not going, dear goddess Mary, uh, please hear my petition. No, no. You're talking to her because she's your mom. Because Jesus, at the culmination of his life, the greatest gift he gave us was his mom. Right? Son, behold your mother. John, who's the beloved disciple, represents every Christian that would ever live. At the very end, he saved the best gift for last, which was her. So she's your mom. Okay. So whatever the church says about Mary is ultimately, it's ultimately because we're trying to articulate something about Jesus. Look at this. This comes from the catechism. Just so you know, I'm not making it up. What the Catholic faith believes about Mary is based on what it believes about Christ. And what it teaches about Mary illumines, in turn, its faith in Christ. Our, all of our dogmas, all of our doctrines about Mary are ultimately defending something about Jesus. They're defending something about Jesus. Look at this. This is from my boy Fulton Sheen. God, who made the sun, also made the moon. The moon does not take away from the brilliance of the sun. All its light is reflected from the sun. The Blessed Mother reflects her divine son. Without him, she is nothing. With him, she is the mother of men. Mmm, Fulton Sheen. Get beatified. I love this image of Mary as the moon. The moon doesn't have its own light. It just reflects the light, reflects the light of the sun. And here's the thing. No Mary, guess what? No Jesus. Simple as that. But no Mary, no Jesus. See what we got going on here, huh? Uh-huh. Eric likes it. Okay. So we want to seek to know her more. We want to seek to know her more. So we got to go to her beginning. It's what the church calls her immaculate conception. And there are many misconceptions about the immaculate conception. The immaculate conception is a dogma, meaning it is a bedrock, absolute article of faith. If you don't believe it, you're not Catholic. It is a dogma that is about Mary's conception in the womb of her mother, St. Anne. It's not about Jesus' conception in Mary's womb. Let me say that again. 
This Immaculate Conception is about when Mary was conceived in Anne's womb, not when Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb. What do we call that feast day? The Annunciation, right? Anybody know when the Annunciation occurs every year? Mar March, how do you know? It's nine months before Christmas. There you go. It's funny how that works, right? So, in fact, our Eastern Rite brothers and sisters, like our Byzantine brothers and sisters, they call this, this celebration of the Immaculate Conception, they refer to it as the Feast of the Maternity of Anne, which is a lot clearer, right? It's about the maternity of Anne. In their iconography, right, so I showed you a few different icons along the way here. In their icon, the way, they, the way they depict that scene is they depict Anne and her husband Joachim in this beautiful embrace, their cheeks pressed against each other, and behind them, you see their wedding bed, and behind that, in the distance, you see the temple in Jerusalem. All of that is significant. In their embrace, as husband and wife, in Anne's womb, God was constructing the new Eden. That's what Mary is, a new Eden, and a new temple, and a new tabernacle. I know I'm throwing a lot at you. Just let it wash over you. It's okay. Mary is the new temple, right? In the background of that icon, jo Joachim and Anne embracing their wedding bed as a husband and wife in the background and the temple in the background. What's the job of the temple in Jerusalem? What does it do? It's the dwelling place of? Of what? Of God. It's the dwelling place of God. That's what the temple is. Mary is the new temple because in her will dwell God in the flesh. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. She is the new living temple. Okay, so I want to show you an actual photograph of the Immaculate Conception. Actually, it's like right before the Immaculate Conception. We're right here, baby. Okay. You didn't think that was coming. <laughs> You gotta feel bad for that guy right there. He was so close. Okay, from the first moment of her existence, so the church teaches, from the very first moment of her existence, Mary was preserved from the wound, from the stain, from the corruption of original sin. She was a spotless paradise. Just like in the beginning, God makes paradise. And out of this perfect soil comes the first Adam. Right? Mary is this new paradise, this untouched, made of flesh paradise. Out, this, out of that soil comes the new Adam. That's who she is. Okay, how did God do this? By a singular grace, the catechism says, the church teaches, by a singular grace, God saved Mary in advance. It's, it's not true to say Mary did not need to be saved. She needed to be saved, just like we needed to be saved. God just saved her in a unique way. Right, there's two, imagine you come across someone who, like, there's a big hole in the ground, and someone's walking along, and they're about to fall into the hole. Now, there's two ways you could save the person from this hole. First way, they fall in the hole, and you lower down a ladder, and you help them get out of the hole, right? That's the first way. That's how we are saved. Or, as the person's about to fall into the hole, you're like, Hah! and you grab them by the shirt, and you pull them back. That's how God saved Mary in advance, in advance. It was as if he reached forward, God the Father reached forward into time and grabbed a hold of the power of redemption, Jesus' redemption on the cross, and applied it back in time to that single moment in Anne's womb. 
He reached forward in time, grabbed a hold of redemption, and applied the grace to this singular moment. How did he do that? You're going to have to ask him when you die, because I don't know. So to understand what God was doing, to understand this moment, to understand what God was doing in Anne's womb with this immaculately conceived ovum, we have to zoom way out. We have to go back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis. We're going to go through every single book of the Bible until we get to Luke. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. You didn't seem phased by that. I don't know, Deacon. <laughs> we might be here a while. All right. So back to Genesis. Back to Genesis. The mystery of our creation... The mystery of our creation is male and female. This is a little bit of review uh, from some different classes we've had. The mystery of our creation is male and female, and like the call of the two to become one flesh in this life-giving union, the marital embrace, right, the one flesh union, was meant by God from the beginning to be a sign, an icon. In the visible realm of creation, of the, the relationship that God has with humanity. So God made earthly marriage in the beginning, this horizontal reality, if you will, to point to, to reveal, to signify the kind of relationship that God wants to have with humanity. You picture this, the horizontal, the earthly images points to the vertical between divine, div the divinity and humanity. Okay, so like our creation is male and female. It is significant because it is a sign. This is the point. It is significant because it's a sign. What do signs do? What's the job of a sign? Point to something, right? It points to something. What is it pointing to? It's pointing to the fact that God himself is this endless exchange of life and love. And it points to the kind of relationship that God wants to establish with humanity. He's not just merely interested in friendship. He's not just simply interested in a personal relationship. He wants the kind of relationship that is, as John Paul II said, the least inadequate image, the least inadequate analogy is that of married love. Right? Spousal love, what does it signify? I'm giving you everything. I'm letting you into everything. I want you to share everything, right? Without exception. There's no asterisks when you say those vows. None whatsoever, right? For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, to love and to cherish until death do us part, unless. There's no unless. Right? Right, guys? Right? Right? There's no unless. It's a total gift. This is what God created spousal love to be a sign of how he wants to love us. Right? He carved this into our very bodies. He carved this into our very bodies in masculinity and femininity. He made our humanity from the beginning to be the very vehicle of communicating this mystery. Like he carved the plan into our flesh, into our bodies. Like the masculine body, if you let it speak, what does it say? It says, I am meant to be given away. I am the initiator of the gift of life. I give the gift. If you look at the female body, what does it say? I open to receive the gift, to conceive the gift, to gestate the gift, to bring the gift forth. This giving and receiving is 
a sign in creation of who God is. So in this plan, all of humanity, gentlemen included, we are all the bride. We are all the bride. How's that for a silly sexist religion? We are so misogynistic, we hate women. Ah! No, 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 we're all the bride. <laughs> because why? Because humanity is the recipient. We're meant to be the recipient of God's gratuitous gift of life and love and mercy and grace. He's been saying from the beginning, I want to pour super abundant life into you. I want to fill you with my glory. I want to fill you with my glory. Christians are meant to be like pregnant women, right? What do I mean by this? The sign of openness and receptivity. Like woman is, like I said, the crown jewel of creation. Woman is the archetype of all of humanity. She is the one that was constructed by God to be the visible, the visible sign of receptivity. The visible sign of receptivity, openness to receive the gift. Like, no, we're, I know we don't think this on a conscious level because it would be kind of weird. But every time you see a pregnant woman, what is implicit is that this is someone who has opened herself, who's been deeply vulnerable with somebody else, and has received something from the outside. I'm speaking in intentionally veiled language, but I know you know what I mean. A Christian, I'm thinking of like St. John Paul II right now. There was nobody who left John Paul II's presence who did not leave feeling like that man is bearing within him something that comes from another world. Like St. Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the ancient world, the only person who could say that intelligibly, as in the modern world, is a pregnant person. The only people who get to have other people live in them are pregnant people. Or crazy people. <laughs> St. Paul was neither. And yet what he said made sense. I have Christ living in me. Why? Because as a creature, I too have opened myself so fully to grace. Grace has been so powerfully poured into my humanity. And now I bear it forth. I bear it forth. There is nothing more amazing than the woman. Nothing more amazing. Nothing more beautiful. Crown jewel of creation. So in the beginning, humanity settled in a garden, right? Surrounded by flowers and plants and animals, fruit-bearing trees, animals and insects that are creeping and crawling. Everything in the Garden of Eden is singing, if you will. This song of love and life and fertility. Like, like when the birds are chirping, what are they chirping about? They're not going, I had a bad day, and it's really hard, and I can't find sticks. They're love songs. They're mating calls. What are the bullfrogs croaking about? What are the fireflies flashing their butts about? 
They're looking for someone to get with. It, I don't know when we're due for this, but we have our cicada swarm, right? Do you, like, <laughs> what are they singing about? It's, it's, it's not Marvin Gaye, but <laughs> to a cicada, it might as well be, right? It's a love song. It's a love song. In the springtime, anybody else here have like seasonal allergies? Okay, again, just me, really? Okay. Who, who here is afraid of raising your hand? Okay. Okay, just making sure. Who does not like raising your hand? Okay, all right, just some of you. All right. Do you know what's happening when the pollen, when all that pollen, right, when it's like covering your car, when you've got seasonal allergies and you're all stuffed up, do you know what's happening on a actual biological reality? That trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions of plant endosperm are wafting through the air and they're trying to mate with your nose. <laughs> and your nose is not the proper receptacle of pollen sperm. And your body's like, whoa! <laughs> now you can't breathe for two weeks, right? That's what's happening. Pope Benedict talks about this in his book, Introduction to Christianity, when he was still Josef Ratzinger. But he talks about how the springtime, when God releases trillions of seeds, he says it's a sign of the superabundant generosity, the gift of the Father. That's what he says. That's what he says. All of humanity, all of humanity was originally constituted in this garden, surrounded by this song of fertility. And humanity, man and woman, we are the only ones in creation who can intellectually participate in this song. Everything else, all the birds, all the bullfrogs, all the cicadas, they're just responding on instinct. Like there's no cicada who's like, hey, I got some moves for you, lady cicada. Like, there's no pickup lines in the animal world. There's just instincts and pheromones and mating seasons. But humanity, because we have freedom, we can participate not just simply in copulation, we can participate in reproduction, we can participate in God's own self-giving love in this dance of life and love. I told you this was going to be a lot tonight. I told you this was going to be a lot tonight. It's all about this fertility thing. And humanity, humanity, man and woman, are the most eloquent, if you will, the most eloquent sign of this. So Eve emerges last in creation, like God's intended masterpiece. You ask any artist that the last thing in execution is the first thing in intention. So she emerges last. She was meant to be a sign of all of humanity. And even more than that, like her femininity is a sign of all of creation's ability to open and receive divine life. She's the pinnacle. Woman is the pinnacle of created fertility. Humanity is like the mouthpiece of God. Like the trees can't sing praises to God. But we can. We're made of essentially the same stuff. It just so happens that this stuff can praise God, and that stuff just, you know, <laughs> sways. But what does St. Paul say? What does St. Paul say? All of creation is groaning in labor pains. What? All of creation is groaning 
waiting for the redemption, all of creation. All of creation. Mm. Woman is the sign of creative fertility. She is the most beautiful flower. Let's look at this. That video is like 15 minutes long. I'm like, I gotta cut it down. That one, that like big pink one that's just like, you just wanna like, oh, man, I just wanna do that. Anyway, I don't even know what that sound means. <laughs> uh, what opens the petals of the flower? The what? The sun. The sun, yes, yes, the sun. This is why, friends, this is why for centuries the church has worshipped facing the east. Facing the east, called ad orientem, towards the east. Because the church, as the bride, opens before the rising S-O-N, the rising sun. Whoo! How are we doing? Can we keep going? Okay. So what does Jesus say? Jesus, like, learn from the wildflowers. Learn from the, look. Like he's saying, look at them. I, the whole story is written in creation. Look. What is it saying? That this is who Eve was meant to be. The sign of openness and receptivity. However, as we all know, our first parents were seduced by the fallen angel Lucifer, right? His name means light bearer. So an angel comes to this woman. I want you to remember this. An angel comes to this woman. Lucifer, who had already been in rebellion against God because he already knew the plan that God had for these creatures. And he said, I will not serve this plan. So he seduced them to grasp, not receive, to grasp at godliness, this fruit that was unripe, right? Because of their fear, because all of a sudden they thought God isn't who we think he is. He's not maybe this like generous, provident, life-giving, loving, good father but maybe he's like this tyrant, this overlord, this one who, who doesn't want my good, that I have to protect myself from this, right? So Eve grasps and gives birth to shame and sin. This is what we mean by original sin, that humanity, this, the fertile bride who's meant to be in this posture of openness, like closed itself. You're supposed to be like this, to receive. And original sin closes us off. This is the wound. This is the wound. This is the blemish on the human heart 
the human soul, the human psyche, that we, it's like we enter this world mistrusting who God is. I don't think I want to be open to your gift. Therefore, right, if that's what original sin is, then redemption, salvation, like it has to undo this problem. It has to heal humanity's no on such a deep and fundamental level. That's what salvation is. Like God has to coax a yes out of humanity. He has to get us back into this posture. So what's fascinating, from the beginning, God promised, however, that like, just as sin entered the world through one woman's disobedience, salvation would enter the world through one woman's obedience. Right? And the one who was deceived, the one who deceived us on a tree would himself be deceived on a tree. That's what the cross is. It's the, it's the tree. It's the tree. So, we have got the first Adam and the first Eve who would be redeemed by a new Adam and a new Eve. And through her, God says in the beginning of Genesis, through the woman, the serpent's head will be crushed. I want to show you this painting. It's by Caravaggio. It's pretty stark and whatever. It's, I mean, it's Caravaggio. But the, um, the way that it depicts Christ and Mary defeating the enemy is very powerful. That's not them. That's, I forgot why that I put that in here. That's, uh, I'll come back to this. <laughs> that is not Christ, nor is that Mary. <laughs> that was a heck of a buildup. Okay, here's, here's what I wanted to show you. This painting of Mary and the, the toddler Christ, the child Christ, crushing the serpent. All right, what is he wearing? Nothing. It's not a trick question. What is he wearing? Nothing. What was the first Adam wearing when he came out of the ground? Nothing. They were both naked and they felt no shame, right? So Christ, in his littleness, in this nakedness, we might say in his sheer vulnerability with Our Lady, crushes the head of the serpent, right? God says that you will strike at his heel and he will strike at your head. Another translation say you will bruise his heel while he will bruise your head. What's a more uh, devastating injury, a bruised heel or a crushed head? Yeah, crushed head, crushed head. Through her, his head will be crushed. Okay, but much was needed to be done to prepare for that day. So what God does is he begins from the garden, he begins a rescue mission. We've talked about this, the rescue mission. He begins by forming a particular people called Israel, a people who he's training in right relationship, right? He's trying to get the people, humanity, go from here back to here, from closed back to open, right? Remember at the beginning of the year, we walked through the, the, the four stages of the gospel, created, captured, rescued, response. Remember this? Those are four words that summarize the entire Bible. And when you summarize the entire Bible in four words, you're going to leave some stuff out, <laughs> like the whole Old Testament, Okay. So it's much truer to say created, captured, Israel, rescued response, right? Created, captured, Israel, rescued response. Now, I get it, Father Ricardo, who developed this whole way of describing the gospel. Just throw in Israel, it doesn't really ring, it doesn't really fall off the tongue that easily, so just created, captured, rescued response. I get it. But 
Israel is essential to this story. It's essential to this story. So centuries pass from Eden forward. God has been forming these covenants with his people, first with Noah and his family, then with Abraham and the tribes, then with Moses and the 12 tribes, and then with David and the kingdom. All along, humanity goes from here to here back to here. Then the singular moment arrives and God acts in a unique way on all our behalf. And at the moment of Mary's conception in Anne's womb, God saves her. He saves her. He preserves her from all sin. Right? And as one cell becomes two, as two cells become four, as four cells become eight, as it continues to divide, Mary is already full of grace. She's already preserved from the contagion of sin. Like I said in the beginning, the, the Greek words for Luke's gospel that the angel Gabriel says is kekaritomene. That's the nickname that heaven has for her. She who is continuously filled with grace. It's a continual infilling. Right? This is right here, that Greek verb. Like if you are continuously filled to the brim with grace, what do you lack? Sin. There's no, there's no room for sin. So when we say as Catholics, Mary was conceived without sin and she never, she never sinned in her life, it's not because the popes were like, eh, I think she was pretty sinless, right? <laughs> it's because the angel says you are continuously filled with grace. There's nothing lacking in you. There's nothing lacking. Okay. All right, let's pause here and take a five-minute break. All right, we will resume. All right, I did it, Deacon. Gave him a break. Okay. All right, one more hour. We'll see, we'll see. There's good stuff. Here's the truth. If you do have to go at, at 8.30, you won't hurt my feelings whatsoever. I get it. We, we block off an hour and a half, and I'm just taking liberties tonight, and we're talking about Mary. I can't, I can't not. I can't not. Okay. Uh, let's look at this. These are some, uh, just some beautiful references from, from the tradition. Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 494. As St. Irenaeus says, being obedient, she became, Mary, became the cause of salvation for herself and for the whole human race. Hence, not a few of the early fathers gladly assert the knot of Eve's disobedience was untied by Mary's obedience. With the virgin Eve bound through her disbelief, Mary loosened by her faith. Comparing her with Eve, they call Mary the mother of the living and frequently claim death through Eve, life through Mary. This is St. Justin Martyr from the, I think he's from the second century. Yeah, really early church martyr. Christ became man by the virgin in order that the disobedience that proceeded from the serpent might receive its destruction in the same manner in which it derived its origin. For Eve, who was a virgin and undefiled, having conceived the word of the serpent, brought forth disobedience and death. But the virgin Mary received faith and joy when the angel Gabriel announced the good news, the good, the good tidings to her that the spirit of the Lord would come upon her and the power of the highest would overshadow her. Wherefore also the holy thing begotten of her is the Son of God. And she replied, Be it done unto me according to thy word. Look at these parallels, right? Mary and Eve. 
the woman conceive without sin, conceive without sin, right? Eve was conceived without sin. Both virgins, both betrothed to a man, both have angelic visitations. We can say this is the first annunciation, if you will, right? The first anti-annunciation. And then you have Mary's annunciation, the, angel, uh, the angel, angelic visitation. Eve, in her disobedience, Mary in her obedience. Eve conceives death, Mary conceives life. Okay, so we often call Mary the new Eve. Why? This is why. This is why, right here. Okay. Oh, go back here. All right. I remember why I had that shot from Lord of the Rings in there, by the way. Who has seen or read the, seen the movies or read the books? Most of us. Okay, so um, can I go back to it? How far back is it? Oh, right there. Okay. So you've got King Theoden on the right here who is poisoned by evil. And this creepy figure on the left, anybody remember his name? Wormtongue, Grima Wormtongue. And he's a puppet of Saruman, the fallen evil white wizard. And he's whispering into Theoden's ear. This is, this is a powerful image of evil. This is a powerful image of Satan. All throughout our life, we've got this Grima Wormtongue whispering, suggesting to us he's not who you think he is. He's, he's not who you think he is. He's evil. He's not to be trusted. He's a liar. Okay. Moving right along, crushing serpents, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr. Oh, back here. All right. All right. So let's look at this scene of the Annunciation again, right? So remember, the problem created by Eve is this posture of the closed-off bride, right, who, who says to the Lord, like, I don't trust you. Why? Because if you get close to me, I'm going to be incinerated. Like, I just don't trust that you coming near me, I don't trust your gift. I'm going to be compromised. To let God get close to me is to be compromised, we believe, as a creature. That's what Grima Wormtongue, that's what Wormtongue whispers. You let God close, he's going to hurt you. He's going to disappoint you. You're going to be let down. Right? Don't let him get close. Don't let him get close. So what's my posture in response to this God who's a threat to me, right? Or so I'm told. This is the posture. I told Father Joe tonight at dinner that I saw It's a Wonderful Life for the first time in my life a few weeks ago. Whoa, calm down. (laughs) That was exactly his response. Okay? And he chucked a roll at my face. No. I've never seen it before. I have now. Don't shake your head at me, Vince. You're so disappointed. Okay, it's a great movie. Okay, it's a it's it's a good movie. It's a, it's a great movie. Okay, this scene, this scene. Who knows this scene? George is on the bridge, right? George is on the bridge, and who's walking up to him? No, no, not the angel. This is at the end. Bert's walking up to him, and he's going. He's 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 looking at Bert. He's saying, "Get out, get out of here, Bert! I'll, I'll hit you again!" Right? Arr! And look at his. He's like, Arr! Why? I don't trust you. Don't come close to me. Then what does Bert say? What does he say to him? He calls him by name. He calls him by name. Okay, so this is a powerful image. This is humanity. This is humanity after the fall. In this posture of like, oh, you come close to me, I'll hit you, Bert. God, right? This is our posture. This is the posture. So what is God doing? 
All throughout salvation history, he's wooing humanity. Remember, he's a bridegroom. He's a lover. He's trying to coax out of humanity this posture of openness. He's doing it through the centuries with the covenants and the prophets. And it culminates, it culminates this powerful book in the center of the Bible, the Song of Songs, right? The Song of Songs, which the ancient Israelite rabbis referred to as the Holy of Holies in the Scripture. All of Scripture, they said, is holy. But the Song of Songs, which is a book that describes the longing, the passion, the romance of a bridegroom and a bride, they said that book is the Holy of Holies. That book which doesn't even mention God by name. That book. What do you see? What do you see? The closed-off bride. The closed-off bride. Is there someone? Is there someone that like... In this book of the Song of Songs, you see this bridegroom coming to the bride at night, and he's knocking on the door. He's saying, open to me, my sister, my bride, open to me. My head is damp with dew in the, in the darkness of the night. Open to me, open to me. All throughout the long centuries of Israel's history, God is saying to his bride, humanity, open to me. I'm not going to hurt you. I just want to flood you with life and glory and beauty. Open to me. Is there anybody, God's looking, is there anybody who will open to me that's willing to open up her longing to God's longing to let God in? We see God in this tender mercy, slowly moving Israel to this place. And then in this one little town called Nazareth, this couple, Anne and Joachim, they give birth to a beautiful daughter who is willing to be opened. Right? She opens herself. This is a painting called Mary Consoles Eve. It's by a nun whose name I forget. But look at the symbolism all in here. Right? Eve grasping at the fruit, the unripe fruit that caused death. And her head downcast in shame and sorrow. And look at Mary. Look at the tenderness of her, right? Coming right into that place. She's got her hand on her head as if to say, like, look up. Like, look up. I'm undoing all of it. And she takes Eve's hand and she puts it on her womb. Like, what do we say? Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Right? So she's grasping this fruit. How did that fruit get into her womb? Did she grasp at it? Did Mary grasp at the fruit that's in her womb? No, she opened and she received, right? She opened and received. Oh, it's so holy. So, so, so holy. Okay. And look at who's just nonchalantly stepping on the serpent, right? So you go from, you go from this posture to the openness, right? God, throughout the centuries, he's trying to get Israel to open. And this is what eventually happens. You see the change, right? Uh, and then, and then, look at his hand. Look at his hand. He reaches out, right? Go from here, this closed-off posture. I'm defending myself. I don't trust you. To openness and communion. The Annunciation in. Luke's Gospel, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, he said that at the Annunciation, it was as if all of creation was leaning in, 
waiting to hear Mary's response. Like from the farthest star to the nearest insect was leaning in going, what is she going to say? Like, have you ever been out in public somewhere and you see some guy proposing to a girl? Have you ever seen this? No one's seen this? You have like no experiences that I have, apparently. <laughs> Just like, mm. yeah, no one's ever seen Like, if you see it happen, you're like, everyone's like, who was she going to say? Right? Deacon Rich has seen it. Thanks, Deacon Rich. Right? Everyone's leaning in, waiting to hear, is she going to say yes? Right? Is she going to say no? Right? I hope she says yes. All of creation is leaning in. Will she say yes? Will she say yes? Okay. Uh, will she say yes? All right. In Matthew's genealogy that we hear at Christmas time, the Christmas Eve gospel that Deacon Rich crushed this year, right? <laughs> so-and-so became the father and so-and-so. So-and-so became the father and so-and-so. Zerubbabel, Shealtiel, Zadok. There's some other ones in there, <laughs> right? Okay. So it goes through this whole genealogy. It's telling us this person became the father of this person. who became the father of this person. Talking through the natural generation, natural generation. And then there's this break. Matthew says, now this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. As if to say, it ain't like the other generations before us, right? Something different has happened, right? It ain't like all those other begettings. He says, when Mary, when his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Okay. Uh, oh, Song of Songs. Yeah, moving on. Okay. Da, 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 da. Back to this. Okay. All the generations. So-and-so became the father and so-and-so. So-and-so became the father and so-and-so. Matthew says, now this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. It wasn't like this. When she was found through, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Watch. Okay. What's going on here? What's going on here? The super abundant, like life-giving fertility of masculinity. Like, let's just hit pause on this and just talk about something weird. Because you're not going anywhere. Okay. <laughs> one, one egg, one egg, 500 million-ish sperm. One to 500 million. If you ever wake up one day and just feel like a loser, you can tell yourself, I one time won a race where I beat out 499. I am a winner, okay? One to 500 million. One to 500 million. This super abundant fecundity that God has put into masculinity is a sign of the superabundant fecundity of the Holy Spirit. Because what do we say in the Creed? The Holy Spirit, you are the Lord and giver of life. Right? The, the potency of a man is a sign of the omnipotence, the omnipotency of God the Father. Right? He's all-powerful. That's the one adjective that we give God in the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Almighty, all-powerful, omnipotentia. All-powerful, all-potent. Why? 
He's the superabundant, life-giving lover who at this moment filled Mary with the power of the Holy Spirit and Our Lady became the new tabernacle. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Mary's womb, the church fathers would say, Mary's womb became the bridal, the mystical bridal chamber. Mystical bridal, what happens in normal bridal chambers? The two become one flesh. What happens in the mystical bridal chamber? Heaven and earth are united. Heaven and earth are united. That's what happens in Mary's womb. That's what happens every single Mass. Yes, every single Mass, we are at Calvary. And we're in the throne room of glory. And it's as if we are in Mary's womb, witnessing the Annunciation all over again. Why? Because the Word becomes flesh. Have you, if you've ever been to the cathedral downtown, have you ever wondered why the ceiling of the cathedral is painted with blue and gold stars? It's because it's Our Lady. It's like we are inside Our Lady. Notre Dame. Like that's what's going on. The, the medieval architects of Gothic cathedrals, they built the churches to represent woman's body, Mary's body. <laughs> not making this up. I'm not making this up. It might seem like I am, but I'm really not. This is the problem. The church for many decades, centuries, maybe, I don't know, we have failed to communicate this kind of stuff. Instead, we just say things like, well, just, just be nice. God just wants you to be nice. Like, yeah. <laughs> and a little bit more. <laughs> like St. John, the evangelist, no, St. John of the Cross, he said that the gospel is shallow enough for a mouse to walk through and deep enough for an elephant to swim in. And most of us have been mice living in the shallows. Guys, this is, this is the, the deeps. To talk about Mary is to go into the deep. <sighs> At the Easter Vigil, when we get to the Easter Vigil, there's this beautiful ancient chant that gets proclaimed at the beginning of the Easter Vigil called the Exultet. There's a line of the Exultet where we say, O oh, blessed night, when things of heaven are wed to those of earth, the divine to the human. That's what is happening. That's what happens. More on this when we talk about baptism. But where does it happen? It happens in the font, the baptismal font, which the church from the beginning has called the mystical womb, where Christians are born. Getting ahead of myself. When Mary said yes, by the way, how are we doing? We doing okay? Okay. When Mary said yes, the church father said the farthest star in the universe danced for joy which I love that image. Like the fire that is the glory of the most holy trinity, it enters into her. It enters into her womb. She, she shows us what happens when we let God get close. Like contrary to the ancient Greco-Roman myths, when the gods come near the mortals, what happens to the mortals? Like they die, they get blown up. Right? They get compromised. They get manipulated. When the true God 
is let into the depths of humanity, what happens? You become radiant. Look at this painting. It depicts Mary as the burning bush of the New Testament. Let's remind ourselves. What was the burning bush in the Old Testament? It was the sign to who? Moses, Moses right? Why was it a sign? Because it was on fire, but it was not consumed. This bush that was filled with fire, but not being burnt up, right? Who is Mary? She's the burning bush of the New Testament. Look at this image, right? Adam and Eve in shame around the tree, Mary destroying all of it. Here she is, the burning bush of the New Testament. Oh. Mary's on fire, but she's not consumed. Her womb, if you will, it's the mystical oven baking the mystical bread that's coming down from heaven. What does Jesus say in John chapter 6? I am the bread come down from heaven, right? He's born in Bethlehem. Anybody know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. House of bread. She's the mystical womb baking up the mystical bread. And who doesn't love the smell of like fresh baked bread? Right? I mean, come on now, right? Mm. So let's look at her real quick, this image of Our Lady Guadalupe. So in 15, some, 15 what? 1531, Our Lady appears to Juan Diego, right? She appears literally as the description of Mary in the book of Revelation, right? In the book of Revelation, we hear about this queen crowned with stars, with, like clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet. That's how Mary appears in the book of Revelation. Mary in the book of, Re or the woman in the book of Revelation is an image of the bride of the lamb, right? That's who we see revealed in the book of Revelation. That's who is revealed, right? Revelation means unveiling, right? So we see in the book of Revelation the bride of the lamb. How is she described? She's described as radiant in glory, filled with God's life and love and glory, right? Who remembers this moment from a few years ago when Notre Dame, it was the beginning of Holy Week, 2018, 2019? Notre Dame, right? Our Lady, Our Lady's Cathedral in Paris, the first daughter of Christendom, France, Our Lady's Cathedral burned to the ground. This, I remember thinking when I saw this, this is the diabolical mockery of what Jesus wants for his bride, the church. This moment, this is the diabolical mockery. Because what does Jesus say? I have come to cast fire upon the earth and how I wish it were already blazing. Where was it blazing? In Mary. In Mary. She became the mother of God, the God-bearer, right? This title of hers is so significant. This is the solemnity that starts the new year, Mary, mother of God. If she's not the mother of God, then Jesus did not really come in the flesh. And if he didn't really come in the flesh, then we're not really saved. It's very significant that Mary is the mother of God. Listen, listen to this. Um, where is it? This is from, this was in Advent of 2019. Some Muslim scholar tweeted this out. He said, imagine believing that a woman gave birth to God, the most high, and that he needed to be breastfed and taken care of by his own creation. Imagine believing that God used to defecate and urinate upon himself and had to be cleaned by his mother, exalted as Allah above their lies. If Mary is not the mother of God, then he is right. Then he is right. 
I'm going to show you an actual picture, an actual photograph of Jesus. Not a lot of people have seen this, but this is an actual photograph of Jesus. Yeah, right there. There he is. Some of you are confused. <laughs> At one point, this is what God looked like. Just let that soak in. God, the author and maker of the stars, the one who encircled Saturn with its rings, like God, God is who grew in the womb of the virgin for nine months. God was nursed at the breast. God got cold and hungry and sleepy. God went down for naps. God, he ate, he used the bathroom, he had flesh and blood, and he encountered people in Nazareth, and he looked upon them with his eyes, and God in Jesus went forth from his parents' home around 30 years old, and God in Jesus called these people to follow him, and he was condemned by religious and political authorities alike, and he was put to death on a cross. God died on a cross. Why can we say that? Because Mary is the mother of God. God, whatever can be said of Jesus can be predicated of God, because Jesus is God. God died on a cross that day, and God in Jesus defeated sin and death, and Satan rose from the dead. And all of this is bound up with the claim that God had a mom. He had a mom. Like ideas and abstractions, they don't need mothers. <laughs> the Pythagorean theorem does not have a mom. Ideas don't need moms. Persons need moms. Real people do. She was and is a real mother. She is our real mother. She's Jesus' final and most supreme gift. Like when he had nothing, when he had nothing left to give. He had nothing left to give. He gave us his mother. Right? John, the beloved disciple, representing every disciple through the ages. Woman, behold your son. This woman runs to us in our weakness. That's who she is.
that's who she is. She runs to us. She's the immaculate conception. She's the virgin mother of God. And this is where we're going to press in further. She's the mystical bride of Christ. The mystical bride of Christ. Did you say that Mary is Jesus' bride? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. The catechism teaches that in the order of nature, Mary was and is Christ's mother. Always. But in the order of grace, she's the mystical bride. She's the mystical bride. Remember again, okay, that God made marriage in the beginning, right? Genesis, Adam and Eve, to be the sign that pointed to Christ's relationship with the church. Christ's relationship with the church. And the church is personified, is brought to like a personal face. The personal face of the church is Mary, who stands at the foot of the cross. Uh, Mary, who stands at the foot of the cross to receive what flows forth from the side of Christ. Mary, who's symbolized still by the chalice, right? The openness still stands at the foot of the cross to receive what comes forth from the side of Christ. According to Pope Benedict, he said this, that the church learns concretely what she is. The church, the church. Who's the church? Raise your hand. Everybody, every hand should be up. Okay, everybody, there we go. The church learns concretely what she is and what she's meant to be by looking at Mary. Mary is her mirror, the pure measure of her being, because Mary is through and through God's habitation. And what other reason could the church have for existing than to become a dwelling for God in the world? God does not deal with abstractions. He's a person, and the church is a person. Mary is the icon of the church. She's the icon of every believer. Like, look at this. This icon here, it's called the Theotokos icon. It depicts Mary pregnant with Christ. Go back to what St. Paul said. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Pay attention to that word in, in Scripture. Two letters. Everything hinges on that word. Christ in me, right? Remain in me. My Father is in me as I am in you. Christ in Mary. This is like the spiritual MRI scan of every saint. This is what every saint looks like. This is what every baptized Christian looks like. Christ in you, growing to full stature. She's the blueprint. Jesus says, anyone, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home in them. Who did he do that with first? Mary, Mary. Carol Houselander, who was a, a British mystic writing in the beginning of the 20th century in England, she said, Mary is not only human, she is humanity. The one thing that she did and does is the one thing that we all have to do, namely to bear Christ into the world. Our crowning joy is that she did this as a lay person and through the ordinary daily life that we all live and ordinary things that she brought him into the world. How are we doing? I got a little bit more. Are you okay? Okay. So why do we need her? Because she shows us what perfect discipleship is. 
It's not about having, if I could put it this way, discipleship, perfect discipleship is not about having all of your crap together and then being useful to the Lord, if I can put it that bluntly. That's what so many of us think, that God really will get, like, he's really going to be able to use me once I get all of my stuff together. That's not discipleship. That's not holiness. Holiness is having all of your junk open and exposed to the Lord. Holiness is opening, right? Pope John Paul II said, holiness is measured by the openness of the bride to the gift of the bridegroom. Opening our hearts, opening wide the doors of our hearts to let in that light, to let in that fire, to let in that mercy. This will, I'm sure these guys will talk about it when we talk about reconciliation. Confession has to be, it has to be the regular experience of every Catholic, at least once a month. There's, there's no other route. There's, like, if, like Jesus gave us a, a fail-safe way to let the mercy in, to let the glory in. And so many of us just, ah, I'm, I'll go twice a year. He's like, I want to put life in you. This is how he does it. She shows us what it means to be human. Like, look at this monstrance, by the way. I know. It's in Poland. We should go. You were, you were made for an exalted end. That if today, right now, you saw, like if you saw the lowest saint in the kingdom, you would fall down on your face and be tempted to worship him or her. If, if right now, the, the lowest saint who bears the least amount of glory came into this room right now, all of us would fall to our faces thinking we were in the presence of God. That's the glory. St. <laughs> Paul says, I would suffer. Like all of the sufferings of this present age are nothing compared to the glory to be revealed in us. All of the sufferings. From every stubbed toe to every broken arm to every shattered family to every divorce to every victim of every holocaust, every genocide, every death of every innocent, all of the suffering, he says, it's nothing compared to the glory to be revealed in us. Which begs the question, what the heck is the glory to be revealed in us? You can't even fathom it. Can't even fathom it. Christ was formed not in the abstract. He was formed in Mary. Jesus was formed in Mary. St. Louis de Montfort says this. There's two ways to make a statue. The first way is you get a block of marble and you get hammer and chisel and you bang away at the, at the block until you reveal the image that you're trying to create. That's a risky way to do it because one fell, you mess up, you could damage the whole thing. He says the second way you can make a statue is by, you create, by creating a mold. And you pour liquid metal into the mold. He says Mary is the mold. She is the mold in which Christ is formed. He says you want the fastest way to become a saint? Get close to her. Put yourself in Mary's womb. Mary herself is the perfect mold. Like God entrusted himself first to her. Like the sacred heart of Jesus began to beat underneath the immaculate heart of Mary. He first entrusted himself to her. Like you can't have God as your father if you don't have Mary and the church as your mother. You can't. 
it's so wrong for Christians to think, I don't need her. He did, clearly. If you want to be another Christ, you need her. Period. You need her. There is no discipleship, no following him without Mary. We need this mama in our corner. Okay. I think I'm going to skip this clip. Oh, but it's so good. <sighs> I'm looking at the time. How are we doing? Tell me honestly. How are we doing? Anybody need to stand? Should we do a stand-up break, Deacon? All right. All right. I want to show you. I might, I might leave some stuff out at the end here. But this clip is so powerful. Okay. I'm going to set it up. Actually, I'm not going to set it up. Let's just watch. Britain's got talent. What's your name? Um, Malachi. How old are you, Malachi? Um, I'm nine. And where are you from? Um, London. Okay. North London. Who are you with? Um, I'm with my mum. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> are you a bit nervous? All right, Malachi. Good luck. Good luck. When you're ready. Very cute. deep within is only beginning to find release oh the time has come for my dreams to be heard they will not be pushed aside or turned into your own all cause you won't listen listen Malachi Paul took to the stage. What's your name? Um, Malachi. I'm with my mum. One thing I'm worried about today is Malachi getting stage fright. He gets a bit nervous. Yeah, sometimes I get a bit nervous and get a stage fright. I remember that mummy's backstage. Imagine me backstage doing, yes, Malachi, go, Malachi, yes, Malachi. Think about that in your head. In front of big audiences, I would normally be in front of him. Now he's got to face the music on his own, and that's the one thing that I'm worried about. Not one of the judges will buzz you. For yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, even if he gets it a little bit shaky in the beginning, that towards the ending of it, he'll just sell through. If I just stop, I can just look at her and then I'll just carry on singing. Do you want to do, sweetheart? Do you want to sing again, yeah? 
who wants to sing again? Just relax and enjoy it, Malachi. That was a really, really special audition. I agree with Alicia. You're a total star. Simon. Well, uh, I've got to tell you, what I like about you, you're brave. You know, you got, you got off to a bad start, you picked yourself up, and people are going to like you a lot. Okay, let's go. David. Yes or no? A million percent yes. <laughs> Alicia? 100% yes from me. Well done, Malachi. Amanda? Absolutely brilliant. Well done, yes. You've got four yeses. When you were up there, the whole place got on their feet. The judges were up clapping. You got a standing ovation from everybody. How did that feel? Well, um, felt proud.
Should have brought tissues. That's her. Did you notice when she runs out onto the stage, where does she stand? Where did she stand? Huh? In front of him, between the audience and him. Like, gosh. She's like, when you're out there, just picture me back there. Go, Malachi. Yes, Malachi. Go, Malachi. That's Mary. Go, Chris. Yes, Chris. Go, Chris. Go, Deacon. Yes, Deacon. Preach, Deacon. <laughs> That's her. That's the queen. All right, friends, we're going to end by praying this litany. Um, skipping some stuff. Don't worry. We'll talk about that later. Here we go. Um, Deacon's bringing over some petitions. Friends, thank you for letting me go a little bit longer. It's just, like I said, it's just too hard. This should be like five sessions. Let's thank Father Patrick for All right, we're praying for uh, someone's neighbor who took their life before Christmas. We're praying for, I think this is Deanna H., for healing after surgery uh, complications. So we're going to give all of these to our queen, to Mary. We're going to ask her to uh, perfect our prayers and give them to the Lord. This litany that we're going to pray, that I'm going to pray, there are all of these different titles, these names for Mary. Just pay attention to them. Dan, will you just turn it down just a little bit on the MacBook? <coughs> nope. Okay. I invite you to close your eyes. Our Lady, we turn to you tonight. We lift up everything in our hearts, especially these petitions that we place before you. And we greet you with these titles because no single word or phrase could ever capture your beauty or who you are. Friends, after each of these invocations, I invite you to say, pray for us. New Eve, pray for us. Woman clothed with the sun, Woman most beautiful, garden of the new Adam, virginal paradise, God's own Eden, garden enclosed, earth unsown, mystical rose, flower of Carmel, mystic bride, bride of the song of songs, Spotless Bride of Christ, Bride of Joseph, Open Vessel of Longing, Open Gate of Heaven, Open Gate of Dawn, Eastern Gate, Created Temple of the Creator, Dwelling Place for God, Vessel that Contains God, Ark of the New Covenant, temple of God, living heaven, holy chamber more spacious than the heavens, holy chamber of virginal wedlock, bridal chamber of immortality,
bridal chamber made by God, virgin most powerful, immaculate conception, immaculate heart, nature's recreation, nature's restoration, holy in soul and body, healing balm of integrity, my body's healing, consoler of the afflicted, vessel rich in mercy, untire of knots, crusher of all heresies, cause of our joy, our lady of the assumption, our lady of confidence, our lady of the milk, nursing Madonna, nourisher of God and man, mother of fairest love, mother of the world, star of the new evangelization, ravisher of hearts. Most blessed queen, we know that whatever we ask of you, you will not deny or ignore that as our queen and as our mother, you bring everything we need and everything we are to your son. Friends, I'd invite you now to open your uh, prayer booklets to page 23, that we might pray together the... Which prayer is there, Deacon? The Memorari together on page 23. Remember, most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into thee, O Virgin of virgins, our mother. To thee do we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.